And that brings us up to 9 a.m. on the nose. We are live here from downtown Columbia on your community radio station. And it is time for Community Pulse on this Wednesday, the 8th of July. Community Pulse can be caught live at 9 a.m. Monday through Thursday. You can also catch the backdated episodes on our website. We post them on our Facebook feed, and they are now available as a podcast on Apple and Spotify. So we've made significant progress in that regard. Today on Community Pulse, as always, we are pleased to welcome back our host, Dr. Elizabeth Alleman. She is a local family physician and the host of the wonderful KOPN program, Your Health Matters. And today's topic, we'll be talking about uh, three articles related to COVID-19 data that is uh, salient to pregnant and breastfeeding women. Dr. Alleman, how are you? Good morning. I am great. I am. It's Wednesday morning, which is typically the day that Jenny Chadwick is our host, but because of various um, other responsibilities, we switched that up. So I am at my home, and I'm outdoors, so if there is background chicken noises, that's what that's about. <laughs> um, so let's get started. Uh, uh, the total worldwide cases are now close to 12 million cases. It's really sort of stunning, uh, with 548,000 um, uh, deaths. In the United States, we're over three, 3 million, and I've been noticing that it's been pretty consistent uh, since COVID uh, really got uh, started to spread across the United States, that although we have, like, I can't remember, less than a tenth of the world's population, uh, we have about a quarter of uh, the cases, and we're actually starting to exceed that now. Um, uh, so we uh, and we have 134,000 deaths with 1.4 million people recovering. In Missouri, we are seeing uh, several records of day, new daily cases than we you know that we haven't seen. So we saw you know our first uh, record on the 22nd of June since you know previously the highest um, thing numbers of daily cases, new cases, was on the 5th of April, and then we set another record on the 22nd of June and another record on the 26th, and and honest, and so, yeah, we sent another record, set another record um, yesterday with over 700 new cases, um, so really these graphs are looking a lot like uh, peak temperatures with climate change, um, and uh, seven-day averages are coming up. The death counts in Missouri are um it's interesting it's hard to know exactly what's going on with deaths um the state data is unstable that is it seems to be different whenever people are uh consulting it the folks who are um have some contact with being in the know say that this has to do with the fact that a death might be reported on one day but the death actually happened you know, once some research gets done, you realize, oh, that there was a delay in reporting the death, that maybe initially the death wasn't associated with COVID, but upon review, it appears that it was. So, um, but it appears that our death rates are declining. We shall see what happens in the next three weeks. So total in Missouri, we have 25,812 cases with 722 new cases, um, Hickory County has finally reported its first case, so 100% of, of um, counties in Missouri have uh, reported cases. And um, the, in the southwest of the state, we are seeing a slowing in the um, increases. 
and now Macon County, Stone County is still down there in the southwest, and Marion County are, are counties with the most rapidly rising cases. Macon County actually had a 50% increase uh, over the last 24 hours. In Boone County, um, we are at 547 cases, uh, two deaths, and I'm going to see if I can find um, the uh, current active cases. My website, my Internet's loading slowly. Um, uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, I believe there were uh, 15 new positive cases yesterday, if I'm if I'm 15 right. new cases, but I think yeah. we're still in the over 100 active cases, which means the health department is contacting all of their contacts and contacting all of the people in quarantine or isolation, so positive cases and their contacts on a daily or every other day basis to make sure that they're, um, they're doing okay. So it's really a, an idea about, you know, how uh, hard our public health department, which has been underfunded for decades, is, um, is being stressed. So Yes, probably important to emphasize before we get into today's topic that uh, our first wave, more or less, is, is coinciding with a lot of corona fatigue. Uh, at one right. point, we debated whether or not it was uh, <coughs> appropriate to discuss numbers at the beginning of the episode. Right. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, as you can see, it is quite germane. And uh, we do need to list those numbers before we get into any daily topic. Yeah, and and I also know that many people are, I don't know how people are actually using this program, but I'm hoping that there are some people who are trying to limit how much news they're consuming and that maybe they're just signing in here and maybe another source or two. So I wanted to make sure that if people are feeling like the numbers are something that matters to them, that they don't, you can go down such a rabbit hole and end up having spent a good part of your day and your mental and emotional energy looking at numbers that most of us can't change except by continuing to do the things that we recommend. Staying away from people, washing your hands, don't touch your face, um, take really great care of your health, and wear a mask when social distancing is impossible. Um, and then today I wanted to talk about, there's been some interesting um, changes in what the Centers for Disease Control in the United States is saying about uh, pregnancy. And then there's some ongoing controversy about what to do with uh, the care of newborns, especially related to breastfeeding. So this uh, ProPublica uh, published an article titled Agonizing Lag in Coronavirus Research Puts Pregnant Women and Babies at Risk. I think that's a big claim that I don't think that they um, that they uh, defend fully, but it is true that our data about uh, outcomes of pregnancy in this country is really uh, I'm just say it's really bad. It's really disappointing. Most other countries do better than we do. That we have for my whole career barely begun to count how many women die every year who were also pregnant or within a year of a pregnancy. Now, it is true that you could still be within a year of pregnancy and die in a car accident that was unrelated. But we still want to gather that data in case there are patterns because some car accidents are actually um, um, not an accident, that they are suicides. And so if we see that say, pregnant women are dying in car accidents at, you know, 10 times the background rate. Well, now we would want to investigate whether cars weren't safe for pregnant women or, you know, something. So 
we have, as a background, not kept great data about what happens to uh, childbearing people in this country. And that is a problem. And we have also only recently begun to keep data about disparities based on race, ethnicity, um, and uh, uh, socioeconomic status, access to medical care, etc. So against that background, we now have a global pandemic of a respiratory virus that has a variable uh, severity based on people's uh, health status that they bring to the infection. So we know that people who have um, inflammatory illnesses like hypertension, diabetes, obesity, asthma, do not do as well as people who don't have those conditions. And we know that pregnancy modifies the immune system in humans, in mammals, because you have to tolerate a a foreign person in your body. Um, And that uh, the fetus is not going to be, um, you know, like it's not true that every person could receive a organ transplant from a child, but they carried that genetic material and those proteins and those antigens in their body. So we have to modify the immune system to not recognize the fetus as foreign in order to have a pregnancy. So we have legitimate reasons to ask, like, well, how does this affect people who are pregnant? Pregnant people are especially vulnerable. And so far, the Centers for Disease Control and people around the world have sort of said, Yeah, it doesn't seem to be uh, targeting pregnant women. And without saying, you know, we don't really keep good enough data to say that for sure. Indeed. I I think you, uh, when you were introducing the article, this is the ProPublica article that we will, of course, have uh, posted online later. Uh, I think you you put it quite well in that it it brings up a very important issue that, uh, you know, we don't really track this data. Um, in the UK, um, when there is a, it tre- every mother's death is tracked and traced so that right. things like postpartum depression and, and so right. on and so forth can be measured, we don't really keep that data in the United States. Uh, another thing that you said, which is, of, co- of course, quite true about the article, is, is that it does need maybe a little bit better sourcing. I mean, it talks about an estimate that 16,000 American women could be infected with the coronavirus when they give birth this year, but the actual research sourcing is kind of sketchy and, and so on and so forth. So we don't want to be too alarmist about this. No, and I, I think that the idea is that it's hard to say that not keeping good data has caused any deaths. I think that that I think that that is a, a that and that's the part I was objecting to. Right. So th- so it it you know we came to this pandemic and we come to every challenge with strengths and weaknesses in our system and this evening's um, show on uh, your health matters is going to be a further discussion with Mark Johnson and his colleagues who are implementing this week a program of doing statewide testing of wastewater for COVID. Uh, viral uh, genetic material um, as a way of getting an idea about, like, getting past, like, are we seeing more cases because we're testing more, which we probably are doing some, but, you know, there are other ways to argue about that data. I absolutely cannot wait for that show. Uh, For our listening audience, if you're interested, um, a broad outline of what Dr. Johnson is doing. We spoke with him last Thursday, uh, so a backdated episode. Fascinating stuff. One of the things they said was that the reason that's happening in Missouri and not in other states yet It's because in the 1970s, when the Clean Water Act required that we test all 
drinking water, the state of Missouri decided we would do that as a state. And we set up a state lab to do that because we thought that that would be the most cost-effective way to do it. And what that means is we already have in place a courier system and a sampling system where water samples are already being taken from all of these wastewater plants and all of the drinking water processing plants, which are usually in close proximity, to the state lab in Jefferson City. So then all they had to do was get a courier to take all the samples (laughs) up to Columbia. That's... yeah, that, that really illustrates how, you know, we have our strengths and weaknesses when it comes to data right. accumulation in, in, uh, in tackling this epidemic. And that so is, I, we, we weren't keeping the data, and then we were, I think, falsely reassuring to pregnant women. Mm-hmm. And so now I think we're being falsely fear-mongering with pregnant women, and we're saying, oh, you're way more likely to be hospitalized if you're pregnant and get COVID, and you're more likely to be on a ventilator, but you are not more likely to die. But the problem is that we're still being really bad about the data. Right. So many of the hospitalizations are not being coded about whether they're even related to COVID. Mm. So pregnant people end up in the hospital for lots of reasons. Most of them end up in the hospital to give birth. Yes. And, and, so it's, and sometimes it's not uncommon that, that that's kind of a time in a person's life when they're a little bit more likely to end up in the hospital because we thought maybe they were in preterm labor or their blood pressure was a little high or they had a little bleeding or if they're in a car accident have any abdominal trauma we sometimes didn't admit them overnight where if they weren't pregnant we wouldn't and so pregnant people have a higher rate of hospitalization than the background population mm-hmm. and that data wasn't kept that still not being kept almost inexcusable i mean the the mere issue of postpartum depression alone would uh, would merit uh, keeping data on what happens to women in their uh, initial year after pregnancy absolutely the other thing that they're not keeping data on is not all there's not necessarily data on um, hospital admissions of female people who are in their reproductive years about whether they're pregnant or not so it's very possible we're also missing some hospitalizations of pregnant people who have COVID. Indeed. And we all know we can argue until the cows come home about the uh, challenges of death certificate data. It's the best we have. It's the most complete. But it is still, you know, not not 100% uh, reliable. And I'm not saying that anybody, I don't believe anybody is, I don't, haven't seen any evidence that there is widespread fraud but death certificates are often signed by tired people mm. who have the living to also care for. And that is a piece of paperwork that may not get the attention that it deserves, mm. and especially when you're in a, um, a se- setting where there's a lot of deaths and a lot of people on ventilators and everybody is overworked. Something I'm a little curious about as, you, as we... Uh prepare for your discussion with Dr. Johnson this evening. Um, the uh, part of, no pun intended, I assure you, the, the data dump that he plans right. on releasing on the DHSS website, um, when is that planned for? Okay, so I'll just say that, that that is a recorded show and I've already sent it over, so um, I've now listened to his beautiful words twice. Mm-hmm. Um, they are gathering, so they've been gathering data sort of proof of concept over the last month or so maybe two months since May, and they are 
clarifying that that data seems to track along with the um, re- the document the cases that we're identifying. So as cases go up in a sewer shed, uh, the viral load goes up as well. And so they they are not publishing that data, but that's their summary. Mm-hmm. And then this week they are beginning to get samples from all 64 sites around the state, which I think is about 80% of the population is being sampled. And they are, um, the health department will get that data real time. So probably by Friday this week, if all goes well, mm-hmm. uh, again, they're doing something new. So who knows how long it takes. And then they are hoping by early August, there will be trends that can be sent to the public because this data is not really all that helpful as just raw one, one snapshot data, mm-hmm. but rather because the whole point of it is we don't know what this many replications of the messenger RNA, we don't know what that means. Um, but what we can see is a trend, like, oh, in this sewer shed we see falling numbers, and in this one over here we see rising numbers. So because we need a trend, they are not going to publish that publicly until early August. I see. Well, I brought it up. I didn't mean to veer us too far off topic. No, it. It, the, there is so much going on. It's very, um, it's very hard to stay on topic. So, so this, this, so it appears that pregnant women are a, a significantly more likely to be hospitalized and to need ventilate and to be placed on a ventilator when they are, um, if they get COVID nineteen, than pregnant women who are not. And it appears that that risk, that that likelihood, is increasing in the later part of pregnancy. Now. Hospitalizations for other reasons increase in the later part of pregnancy as well. But so the the best bad data we have says that yep, that's a slightly high risk um, group. Indeed. Well, we were talking a little bit on a general theme of hidden data, and, right? And uh, how we well unearth this data. Um, and right. The in terms of pregnant women, this is uh, something that we've been lagging in data far before, uh, long before this this pandemic occurred. So it constitutes a wonderful opportunity to perhaps catch up on that sort of data collection, I would, uh, I would imagine. Yeah, so the, the people who, who like data are having a lot to think about right now. Indeed. <laughs> so the other thing is that so other countries are keeping better data, so the United Kingdom takes, keeps better data, but the problem is that they've got a different maternity care system. It's primarily based on uh, midwives uh, that people, they have... Um, National Health Service, so all people get prenatal care, which you could argue for and against, depending on what your particular idea about what helps pregnancy be healthier. Um, and they do not have the racial and social disparities in this country in the same way that we do. I'm not saying that they've created a utopia, but it's just different. And so their data is going to be different as well. Yeah, so that's, that's the summary, is that, okay, we were telling you that it was all okay, and now there are people who are going to be waving their arms and saying the sky is falling, and just know that it's all based on bad data. <laughs> uh, we just said, I wish that wasn't where we were, but it's where we are. So the other thing I want to talk about was what do you do if a woman, if a, a mother, a pregnant person, a person who's just given birth, has COVID-19, and what do we do about keeping her baby safe? So we... Although there are no, no or very few deaths reported in uh, people under the age of one year old, it, they are a little bit more likely to get um, complications and need to be hospitalized than children in that two to five, I think, is the next category. 
So, um, I, understandably, nobody wants their baby to get sick, and especially if you know a person who is sick doesn't want to also have a sick baby because you know then then what? Um, and so then the question is, what should we do about in general? What happens when a person gives birth in a hospital or anywhere is that then that baby gets cared for by the person who just gave birth to it, usually rooming in, lots of in-arm snuggling, and uh, a lot of breastfeeding. And initially, the Center for Disease Control recommended that all newborns be uh, separated from their mothers if the mothers were COVID positive, Um, and that uh, they, during their hospital stay, and that then the family would make arrangements to have the mother and the baby uh, also be separated from each other at home. And and this is one of the CDC recommendations, guidelines, that I was really not happy with and didn't uh, abide by. So the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine also pointed out that, you know, that is presuming that there's no value to breastfeeding and that there's no impact and the, the CDC was recommending that mothers pump their milk and provide it with a bottle. And the, the problem with that is that pumping and providing your milk with a bottle is not the same in many ways. And one of the reason, ways it's not the same is that um, it is statistically associated with an increase in, uh, maybe I should say a decrease in breastfeeding success rates and breastfeeding duration. So there is something interesting about the physiology of human lactation that does best if the milk is actually removed from the mother's body by the baby at the nipple, and um, that a lot of parenting styles are associated with longer duration of breastfeeding and higher success rates and mothers reporting that they met their breastfeeding goals. And one of them is rooming in, a lot of skin-to-skin, all of that snuggling, and lots of frequent breastfeeding, um, including being in close proximity at night. So it it is a balance of trying to figure out how to support breastfeeding because that is an important part of the uh, development of the normal physiologic optimal immune system. And... Um, there are many there are many things that go on developmentally at the breast, including visual development or facial development. Um, it, it goes on and on. A lot of uh, gut microbiome gets established by the baby being exposed to the mother's skin flora. So it is it is an important thing for the people who are caring for this family, whether they're the professionals or the social support to be um, engaged in this uh, decision. Of course, the decision is to be made by the person who gave birth to the baby. Um, but these these require uh, complex, nuanced uh, conversations, and it feels a little bit like we sort of say, well, we'll just keep the baby and the mother apart for the first 48 hours, and when you go home from the hospital, you know, you're on your own. We, again, are in a system where we don't have great supports for new families after the baby is born, and so often it is a woman alone with a baby pretty quickly after they go home, and I don't think that you can responsibly care for a baby yourself and also epidemiologically isolate yourself from the same baby. Yes, that's a very important point. Uh, Dr. Alman is referring to the other two articles. We already discussed uh, ProPublica, but the 
Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine and also the CDC uh, have some articles as well that we were discussing and we will post on our websites. As Dr. Allman was emphasizing, the, the benefits of, uh, of actual physical breastfeeding are so numerous um, that this is you know, not something that uh, you should think of denying a small child uh, simply because of a COVID scare. Yes, it requires uh, nuanced discussions, but uh, I mean, they're just, they're so numerous. You listed all of them right there in terms of visual. I did not list all of them. No, you did the, not. The, not uh, well, the it, number, the, the list goes on and on. Yeah. And at the same time, Peter, we do not, it's a legitimate thing to be concerned about the transmission of this virus from the mother to the baby. So far, um, both the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine and the Centers for Disease Control are stating that they don't believe there's vertical transmission. That is, we, they do not believe that we're getting transmission across the placenta before the baby's born. Mm-hmm. Now, again, we got bad data, okay? So we're just basing it on bad data. But we are presuming that the baby is, is, babies are universally born uninfected. And so, um, <clears throat> so the, there is this concern about the mother giving the baby um, uh, the disease. And so they're recommending that if the mother and the baby are going to room in and are going to be connected, that they not do a lot of the skin and the mother wash her hands frequently and wear a mask. And um, as a person who has um, done that kind of care myself for my own baby and families do that, it's hard to imagine how that's going to work. These are circumstances where it's difficult for the mother to consistently get food and water. Um, I'm not saying that she can't get it. It's just that the over caring for a newborn is overwhelming. And so families, I'm sometimes often brainstorming with families, and I take care of some pretty privileged folks who, like we're talking about how to make sure that they don't miss a meal, how the mother's going to get a shower every two or three days. And if we're going to add frequent hand washing and mask wearing and don't into skin, which means the baby's not going to sleep as well. It, it, this is a lot to add to a new family, uh, and I'm feeling it. Uh, well, this affects everything. COVID-19 it, affects everything that is pertinent to your health, as emphasized. Right, and it is exposing the weaknesses in our culture, in our institutions, and in our, you know, all, all the things. In, in, in our data gathering, in our research methods. Right. And also exposing some strengths. So the fact that we have a statewide water testing system means that we can now test our wastewater as well um, ahead of other places that don't have that. So anyway, um, so that's the, so I guess let's see, the summary is, yep, probably pregnancy is a, um, a risk factor for um, needing extra care during COVID-19. So pregnant women uh, should be considered in that list of people who are a little bit vulnerable, probably below our elders and smokers and people with diabetes, hypertension, and asthma and obesity, but still, uh, still up there. And um, that it appears, according to this these people that those last that last bit of pregnancy is the highest risk time and they're actually the cdc is recommending that uh women in the last trimester of pregnancy not work in high-risk um businesses again not sure how we're going to do that um and that that there are some recommendations that um mothers who have covid positive who are covid positive themselves when they are caring for a newborn, that there are some recommendations they consider uh, isolating themselves from their babies. Indeed. 
it's uh I mean, I, the, there's other numerous other articles. I mean, I, I can't cite one specifically that suggests that people are, are opting not to to have children during this time, which is opting not to what? Uh, well, not to uh, uh, to get pregnant uh, during not this time. Not to get yeah. pregnant. Yeah, I think there are probably people who are choosing that. There are also, you know, about fifty percent of pregnancies in the United States are unplanned, right. and um, people are spending a lot more time together and. Um, and a little bit bored. So what we know is that when we sequester people inside, the conception rate tends to go up, especially when people are afraid to go to the doctor and get their, um, and you know, since most contraception is met, considered medical, you know, what we saw was that uh, Planned Parenthood numbers went way down as soon as we were all sequestering at home. So there may be many people who are wishing to delay childbearing and not have a baby this year, but I'll bet that our birth rate's going up. That's another data set I'm sure we can center an entire show around. <laughs> right, right. Well, thank you, Dr. Allman, as always. Um, uh, that was a great conversation. And speaking of great conversations, don't miss Your Health Matters this evening. It's coming at 6 o'clock where Mark Johnson will be discussing the wastewater testing. And apropos... Uh, <clears throat> shows coming up what a show we have for you tomorrow public health advocate jenny chadwick uh, will be back to discuss the issue that's on everyone's mind the ordinance that has been passed by the city council for mask wearing uh, jenny was actually at the city council meeting and she'll have some really great information to disclose tomorrow so please join us tomorrow for community pulse thursday july the 9th that'll be our last show before the weekend as a reminder, you can catch Community Pulse Monday through Thursdays live at 9 a.m. We post the episodes along with the articles that we've been discussing on our website and on our Facebook feed. And you can find Community Pulse as a podcast on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts. We are branching out. So uh, we want to thank you for tuning in to Community Pulse and indeed for tuning in to your listener-supported and volunteer-operated community radio stations. Should you have any further questions, comments, and insights related to the coronavirus or programming here on KOPN, leave a message for us at 573-874-1139 or email us at gm at kopn.org. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll look forward to speaking with you again tomorrow. As a reminder, stay safe and stay informed, Columbia. Columbia.